Hello, my rebels. I look at the curious case of Hassan Gie today. That's the Muslim imam who was the nominated liberal candidate in Montreal till someone just did a little Google search and saw all his crazy anti-Semitic craziness, like saying Jews, well, you know, retweeting and Facebooking a guy who says Jews bake matzah with the blood of Gentile children. You know, um, crazy stuff like that. So he apparently passed the liberal vetting. Um, I'll get right to that, and I, I think you'll like today's podcast. But may I please invite you to become a subscriber to our premium content. That's basically the podcast in video. Go to therebel.media slash shows. And uh, it's 8 bucks a month or 80 bucks a year if you buy the whole thing in advance. You can even get a discount if you enter the coupon code PODCAST. You get the video version of this show, which is every day, of Sheila Gunn-Reed's show, of David Menzies' show, and, of course, the satisfaction of helping us pay the bills because we don't take a dime from the government. That's for darn sure. Okay, here's today's show. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Tonight, how is the media party covering the election campaign? It's September 3rd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon oh, consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government go buy publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. Did you see the story about the Muslim extremists that the liberals nominated as their candidate in Quebec? The facts were brought to light by a Jewish civil rights group called B'nai B'rith. They published this story. B'nai B'rith seeks disqualification of liberal candidate with history of anti-Semitic comment. Can I read a bit of it to you? B'nai B'rith Canada has uncovered a pattern of disturbing anti-Semitic and anti-Israel statements made by a Liberal Party candidate running in the coming federal election on October 21. Hassan Guyet, an Islamic religious leader who gained international attention for speaking out in the aftermath of the Quebec City mosque attack of 2017, is currently the Liberal Party nominee for the riding of Saint-Léonard à Saint-Michel in Montreal. Benet Brith is shocked by a number of his statements over the past few years and believes they must preclude his candidacy. But you see, there's this, this problem. Uh, this, this guy isn't just a liberal hero. He's a media hero. He's the friendly face of Canadian Muslims, the symbol of their suffering at that mosque a couple of years ago. So this is cognitive dissonance for the establishment left. This guy was supposed to be proof that Muslims aren't just like us. They're, they're actually more noble than us in their dignified suffering at the hands of old stock Canadians who are a bunch of Islamophobes and in one case, murderers. He's not supposed to be the racist pro-terrorist one. He's supposed to be the good guy, so this will not do. But look, facts are facts, and uh, here are the facts. In January 2017, Gye celebrated the release of Ra'ed Salah, a Hamas-aligned Hamas activist who has accused Jews of staging the 9-11 terror attacks and has claimed that Jews used children's blood for baking holy bread. The candidate went on to hail Salah as a jihad fighter and frontier fighter whom Allah will surely support. Ye offered his congratulations to Salah on being freed from the prisons of occupied Palestine and prayed that he will someday be successful in the fight to liberate the whole of Palestine. Salah had been serving a nine-month prison term in Israel for incitement to violence and racism. These posts no longer appear on Ye's social media. So the usual, 
I'm not kidding when I say the usual. It is usual in places like Lebanon, where Gie is from. Jews baking matzah bread from the blood of Gentile kids they kill. That's a standard Arab anti-Semitic, you know, trope, uh, praising terrorism. That's the usual over there. And I'm not quite sure why we expect someone who believes those things, who comes from an entire culture that believes those things, where that's all just accepted as the truth, where the government even says those things, and his dad surely believed those things, and his grandfather and so on back hundreds of years, where it's inculcated in weekly sermons where the Quran itself is full of anti-Semitism. I'm just not sure why we expect someone to undo a thousand years of tradition and belief just because they hop on a 10-hour flight from Beirut to Canada. I mean, we don't even actually tell migrants to Canada to lose their own bigotries, as if telling them to change their deep-seated beliefs is all it would take. Why is any of this a surprise, what this guy said? Let me read just a little bit more from Benny Brith. In a late 2017 interview with Radio Canada International, that's the CBC French, Guillet called Israel an apartheid state. Guillet also accused Jared Kushner, the Jewish son-in-law of U.S. President Donald Trump, of directing his government to support an Israel-first agenda. He accused Kushner of dual loyalty because of his Jewish background and inaccurately described him as an ultra-Orthodox and fundamentalist Jew. He has also stated on Facebook that the Zionists control American politics, promoting the common anti-Semitic trope of Jews manipulating world governments. You know, if a white guy were to say Jews control the world, Jews control Trump, Trump's Jewy son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is a Jew who's loyal to America, not loyal to America, but only to the Jews. If a white guy were to say that, he would probably and properly be called alt-right, and these days probably even called neo-Nazi. They'd search his social media for any connection, no matter how tenuous, to the Republicans or Donald Trump. Of course, in this case, in Quebec, there is a direct connection. Guillet is a proud candidate for Justin Trudeau, who obviously passed their meticulous vetting procedure. They love this guy. Now, shortly after B'nai B'rith released their research into this guy, the liberals realized they had a problem. <coughs> Normally, they don't yield to problems. The liberals brazen it out, especially Trudeau. They know that the media party only just play fights with them. They know that no one has any stick to itivity when it comes to liberal fiascos other than maybe Bob Fife on the SNC-Lavalin story. So the liberals' normal plan is just hold fast. The storm will pass. Don't lose your cool. But not on this one. They actually caved immediately because the liberals know that Canadians suspect something funny about Trudeau and terrorists. They think that maybe Trudeau's a terrorist sympathizer himself because... I guess Trudeau is a terrorist sympathizer. I mean, here he is posing with Joshua Boyle, the Muslim convert who used to be married to Omar Khadr's sister and then got married again and took his bride unwillingly to uh, Afghanistan to meet up with the Taliban. Trudeau gave a public apology and $10.5 million to Omar Khadr. Trudeau boasts that terrorists are Canadians just as much as you and I are. Remember this? Terrorist Mr. Harper, against this country. a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian... Yeah, he even says we have a lot to learn from terrorists returning from Syria and Iraq. Even if they murdered and raped, we should listen to their powerful voice. We know that actually someone who has engaged and turned away from that hateful ideology can be an extraordinarily powerful voice. Yeah, well, Trudeau actually hates our Canadian troops loyal to our country. 
He mocks them. He defunds them. I mean, it takes quite an icy heart to speak this way while looking at a veteran who lost his leg in Afghanistan. Imagine how cold-blooded you have to be to look a guy in the eye and say this to him. First of all, uh, why are we still uh, fighting against certain uh, veterans groups in court? Uh, because uh, they are asking for more than we are able to give right now. Trudeau's got 10.5 million bucks for Omar Khadr, but nothing for that guy. My point being Trudeau and his Rasputin boss, Gerald Butts, they know the Canadians are on to him. So they didn't want to rope-a-dope this one because it'll just confirm suspicions about Trudeau. So they sacked Guillet before it became a bigger deal. They didn't do that a lot. But funny enough, the candidate himself, he refuses to leave. And weirdly, he says that he was never actually told he was fired as a candidate by the Liberals. He said the CBC told him he was fired, just in case he didn't think the CBC and the Liberals are, are, are tight enough. Um, here's a quote from the CBC. CBC Montreal spoke to Hassan Guillet and broke the news to him. He says he's a changed man. B'nai B'rith tells us they're pleased with the party's swift action. Hey, <laughs> so the CBC told him. But hey, guys, I, I want you to know he's a changed man, and, and he definitely wouldn't lie about that. And remember, those comments he made about Israel being an apartheid state, those comments he made about loving terrorists, that was in the way, way, way in the past. I'm talking... Whoa, all the way back in, you know, 2017. I mean, he has completely transformed himself since then. Oh, by the way, that was after he was made into a media hero for his mosque sermon for the Quebec City mass shooting. So he, he was that way then. And that's one of the interesting things here. He's not just a liberal party hero. He's a media party hero. They so wanted him to be the face of Islam in Canada. Here's a loving story in the Globe and Mail. A former imam who gained international prominence with a moving speech at a funeral for some victims of the Quebec City mosque attack has won the federal liberal nomination in a party bastion in the heart of Montreal's Italian community. Hassan Guillet, a lawyer and engineer who retired from Bombardier in 2006, won the nomination for the Saint Laurent Saint Michel riding Monday night at a meeting that featured a kilometer-long lineup of enthusiastic supporters outside the hall. Mr. Guillet, who lives in a farm country, about 40 kilometers southwest of Montreal was the part-time imam of a mosque in Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, Quebec, and a long-time Quebec Muslim leader before he gained wider prominence in the wake of the mosque attack. Just a small thing, but, but do you really think the nomination was a kilometer-long lineup? Do you, do you believe that? <laughs> well, listen, forgive the Globe and Mail, their enthusiasm, they're in love and they don't care who knows. Look, he was their candidate as much as he was Trudeau's candidate. CTV wanted them even more badly. No, no, he's ours. He's ours. Here's CTV. Hassan Guillet, spokesperson for the Council of Quebec Muslims, Imams, is most widely recognized for his sermon during the memorial for the victims of the Quebec City mosque shooting. No, 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 no. Global TV claims him. He's their guy. Here's Global. Former Imam turned federal liberal candidate in Montreal wants to be a bridge builder. That's hard-hitting journalism, guys. Hassan Guillet won a contested nomination in the Saint-Léonard Saint-Michel, becoming the first liberal candidate not to come from the influential Italian community since the 1988 inception of the East End riding. Isn't that just a perfect snapshot of the Liberal Party today? I remember in Jean Chrétien's day when Italian-Canadians were in the front benches of government. I don't think there's a single Italian-Canadian in Trudeau's cabinet now that I think about it. I think for some reason Trudeau doesn't like Italians. Maybe they're too Catholic or pro-life for him, but Muslims! 
He's got plenty, and what a laugh to have an Italian riding represented by a Lebanese Muslim imam who doesn't even live in Montreal. It's, it's like a chef's kiss. Perfect. Of course, no one loves this guy more than Trudeau State Broadcaster. I mean, come on. Put on a condom for this one. It's crazy. I, in his own words, Imam Hassan Guillet's address at Quebec City funeral for three mosque victims. They, they would have hired him right there on the spot as a reporter. Now, as I mentioned, the liberals didn't actually fire Guillet. The CBC told him the bad news. He still doesn't believe it. In fact, he's apparently having a press conference tomorrow where he will, I don't know, fight on. And I hope by fight on, he doesn't, you know, literally fight on in a Hamas kind of way like his heroes do. Uh, look at this. Dumped by liberals over anti-Semitism allegations, Hassan Guillet explores options. Montreal candidates, he, he was shocked by party's decision. Let's go through the wonderful choice of words there slowly. They're just anti-Semitism allegations, so the CBC's not willing to accept it as a fact. Yeah, these statements by Guillet are indisputable. You can see them with your own eyes. Well, you could, but they were deleted quickly. Luckily, researchers took screenshots of them and archived them. But funny enough, over the weekend, the entire mosque's website was deleted. I went to the, you go to there, just the whole website was taken down. Oh my, how, much, how bad must it have been? Oh, I'm sure they have nothing to hide, right? I mean, why would you delete a social media post or an entire mosque's website if everything was tickety-boo? The mosque deleted their whole website. That's quite something. I can only imagine what was on there. But the actual social media posts that Guillet had, they were deleted, get this, before the B'nai B'rith blew the whistle here. So they were deleted weeks ago. By whom? And why? By Guillet himself or, or by the Liberal Party? Did they say, yeah, this Jews eat the blood of children thing? someone might misinterpret it. Better just delete that one, Hassan. But once you've deleted it, you're good to go. But that headline again, look at that. Dumped by liberals over anti-Semitism allegations. Hassan Kieh explores options. Montreal candidate says he was shocked by party's decision. That's what's so shocking here. The party's decision. I mean, not him. And did you see that happy picture of him? Uh, and the whole thing, he's not denormalized by them. He's not on the defensive. He's not a disgraced bigot and terrorist apologist. He's just some guy who's been shocked by the shocking liberals. They're the ones who so rudely dumped him. I, I think, I mean, I think the media is still, still on his side. Well, yeah, because they have to be, because discrediting him means discrediting his mosque and discrediting their holy reputation as sinless lambs. And of course, he was their symbolic hero, the great moderate Muslim imam, who would be the first Muslim imam in parliament yeah, they're on his side, folks. And what about Trudeau and the Liberal? Well, B'nai B'rith rang the alarm bell, but look at this Facebook post by another Jewish group called Sija. We discovered Mr. Guillet's comments and in June registered our concerns directly with the Liberal Party. Party officials indicated that they would look into the matter. So this was actually brought to the Liberals' attention in June, three months ago, and nothing? No, no action. I'm surprised and disappointed that Sija was fine with this, that they were fine with the Liberals running this terrorist supporter who, given the neighborhood, would surely have become an MP next month, given Montreal. Sija was fine with that, I think. B'nai B'rith was not, obviously. And the Liberals clearly were counting on the fact that they had gotten away with it for three months, just a few more weeks till they were in the clear. 
I saw Gates having a press conference tomorrow. That's going to be a doozy. But I'm really not interested in more of what he has to say. Yeah, Jews, bad. Jews did 9-11. Jews, Jews, Jews. Got, got it. Got it. And unless he dishes dirt on how the liberals told him this was all fine, just be quiet about it. That would be interesting. If he's just saying, no, I'm a changed man. I'm not the man I was so long ago back in 2017. Jews. I'm not interested in that. I am interested in who in the Liberal Party was fine with his bigot, despite having the alarm rung for them in June. I see a couple of Liberal MPs from highly Jewish writings are tweeting their indignation. I am shocked. I'm just shocked. I'm really shocked about guys. I never saw this coming. Yeah, shocked to find any summons in the Liberal Party. Your party gave 50 million bucks to Hamas. Are you shocked? But funny enough, not a word of rebuke from the Muslims in Trudeau's caucus, from Omar al-Jabra, from Ahmed Hassan, from Ikra Khalid, or the rest of them, not a peep from them. What are you, are you nuts? This calculated ambiguity, this double messaging, this speaking with a forked tongue, tell the Jews you're deeply upset, only after it hits the media, though, and wink at the Muslims and say, oh, don't you worry, just stay cool. That whole making matzahs out of blood story could be, you know. It's a but guys, could you just say that blood matzahs thing in Arabic next time, okay? And hey, other than if this candidate goes rogue tomorrow, the story's done. Remember a few weeks ago, some mentally ill woman or some hoaxer, we're not quite sure which, screamed and spat at some guy while holding a laughable Vote Andrew Shear sign. It was so obviously a fake or a hoax or something. But Shear felt compelled to rebuke it, especially after every single media outlet in the country went wall to wall with it. So where's that now? It's nowhere now. That's what it's like in Canada now. In the Liberal Party, in the media party, no big deal. An actual terrorist apologist as an actual candidate, not just some strange person on the street. And the leader who personally signed off on his candidacy. Well, look, I mean, Justin Trudeau was too busy hiking on the weekend to, to answer our questions. He was, he was taking selfies with hikers, guys. I'm serious, that was the news that the media ha party had this weekend. Hey, I'm hiking, guys. Look, we, we all know that we can't trust the Liberal Party. 63% of Canadians don't trust the Liberal Party. But the media party, they are worse. Stay with us for more. When the president laid out his plans about how he's going to handle trade, how he's going to invest in our infrastructure, and how he's going to level the playing field for construction workers and all Americans across this country, and then took the time to take everyone into the Oval Office and show them the seat of power in the world. The respect that the President of the United States just showed us, and when he shows it to us, he shows it to three million of our members in the United States, was nothing short of incredible. And we will work with him and his administration to help him implement his plans on infrastructure, trade, and energy policy, so that we really do put America back to work in the middle class jobs that our members and all Americans are demanding. Thank you very much. Do you remember that clip? I played it for you in January of 2017, and it has stuck in my mind ever since. Look at those guys. That's middle America. That's blue-collar labor union guys, steelworker guys, teamster guys, guys who work outside, guys who come home and their muscles ache, guys who wear hard hats, guys who dig and drill and mine. 
the forgotten people who for generations have said, oh, we're Democrat, we're unions, so we're Democrat. And wasn't that amazing on the first day, I think that was literally the day of the inauguration, perhaps the next day, but I think it was literally day one. Trump took them, and they were all Democrat, at least when they walked in. And did you hear that man? And he said, he showed us tremendous respect. I believe that, by the way, obviously. And he talked about energy and infrastructure and trade. And here we are two and a half years later. And has not Trump kept his word on energy? America is now a net energy exporter. Coal mines are opening again. Steel mills are going full tilt. Chinese cheap, crappy steel that's dumped below world market prices is being kept out. China is on the back foot. It's almost been pushed into a recession by Donald Trump. Donald Trump is literally saying American factories come home. Well, that is music to the ears of union leaders like that. And I think, as we're now well past the halfway point in Donald Trump's first term and the 2020 re-election is within sight, and here in Canada, we have an election mere weeks away, my hypothesis, my theory for today is workers, unionized workers, and I'm talking about real workers, not not clerks in a, in a government sector bureaucrats union. I'm talking about outdoors guys like you saw there. That they will vote for the parties of the right in particular in reaction and rejection to environmentalism, which has been used to kill their jobs for a decade. Joining me now to help discuss this hypothesis is my friend Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDepot.com. Good to see you again, Mark. Hey, Ezra, how's it going? Thank you. It's going well. I, I, I don't know if you uh, saw that clip from where you are. I know you heard it. I found it very moving. These tough dudes, these tough union bosses who went in there probably almost looking for a fight with the Republican president, coming out completely converted to his cause. And that was just with the promise. Two and a half years later, Trump has kept his promises in terms of industrial revitalization. He has. Now, one interesting thing about Trump, if you go back decades, the 1980s, Trump's economic plans have always mirrored the, the labor, the labor unions' uh, economic plans, particularly when it comes to tariffs, particularly when it comes to China, when it comes to trade agreements, when it comes to uh, the appeal to the blue-collar worker. This is the reason Donald Trump is president. Not only did he woo the labor bosses in the clip you just showed, but he wooed blue-collar America in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in West Virginia. Uh, and, and these were states that you know, were shocking margins, particularly places like West Virginia, which were like you know, radical margins, what were Democratic states not that long ago. So what President Trump is doing, and he's not only that, but he's delivered, as you mentioned. We are, you know, surpassed Saudi Arabia now in the oil production, and I think it was 2018. But not only that, President Trump has delivered across the spectrum for union members the lowest black unemployment uh, uh, rates of unemployment since they began in the 1960s monitoring it, the lowest Hispanic unemployment since they began in the 1960s monitoring it. And, they, uh, and this has been a shock to the Democratic Party, and they still haven't recovered, mm -hmm. and they're still reeling. And of course, 2020 brings its own set of challenges with a lot of other issues like the Green New Deal. You know, you're so right, because in the past, socialists and even communists, they have not disparaged 
hard work or industry or smokestacks and coal-fired this and that. They fetishized them. I mean, if you look at those iconic Soviet propaganda posters, you have hard work and guy. I mean, the hammer and the sickle were their symbols, the symbols of tools for work. They would always have the symbol of great pride would be smoke-belching factories. They weren't ashamed of them. All they said is, let those factories be owned, uh, uh, the means of production be owned by the proletariat. They were not anti-factory. I think today's Democrats in the States and liberals and New Democrats and Greens in Canada are actually anti-factory. And just like people who say, oh, no, no, I'm not anti-soldier, I'm just anti-war. Well, after a while you say, no, no, you're anti-war. And you can say, I'm anti-factory, but pro-worker. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. If you're against the factory, you're against the guy who feeds his family from the factory. I think, Mark, and I'd like your thoughts on this, that the obsession by the Democrats and by our liberals with climate change, global warming, climate emergencies, Greta Thunberg, is causing all these severely normal working class guys to say, you know what? I'm just not a Democrat anymore. I'm just not a liberal anymore. Absolutely. In fact, they're not just anti-factory. They are anti-factory 100%. And it's not because of who owns the factory. It's because of the smokestacks. Yeah. It's because of the emissions. The factory is evil. And it goes beyond that. The auto workers union has to look at it and see that the environment and the modern Democratic Party is against the automobile against SUVs. They are against the modern farmer. Farmers unions have to look at this. They're against cattle and beef and sheep and meat eating, and they want to run them out of business. We know this from the new UN report. We know this from Al Gore's uh, own investment in fake meat from a laboratory with 22 ingredients instead of the real thing. So what happened, and this is predates Trump, it actually really began in earnest under President Obama, and more specifically, uh, Obama's second term with all his executive orders and with his opposition to the uh, Canadian oil sands. What happened was the Laborers International Union, led by Terry O'Sullivan, had twice endorsed President Obama for president. They'd had enough. They came out and said that President Obama, Obama was pandering to the environmentalists, that they were seeking jobs, that he was giving in to extreme environmental agenda. I mean, they went, they went all out, started attacking President Obama. Fast forward, President Trump comes on the scene, or the candidate Trump, and the labor unions and the union members themselves are blown away. I actually document the labor unions and the leaders who turn around and actually started attacking President Obama before President Trump came along. Hmm. And so this is what's happened. It's not who owns industry. It's the fact that modern industry is allowed. And voters in the blue collar states, labor worker, you know, labor rank and file, rightly recognize that the modern Democratic Party is against industrial civilization mm -hmm. with their policies. Right. I mean, not so much someone like Joe Biden, who's trying to skirt this, or even a Nancy Pelosi at the moment, but against the Elizabeth Warren, the Beto O'Rourke's, uh, and uh, the other Democrats, uh, who, especially someone like Warren or even Kamala Harris uh, or Bernie Sanders, that, unfortunately, in AOC, that is where the legislation, that is where the brain trust, if you will, is coming. Mm -hmm. And that is what is scaring these workers. And that is what is scaring the Democratic Party for 2020. Yeah. You know, I, I think that maybe I wasn't articulate enough there, Mark, because I, that's my point is the old communists, they loved the factory. They just wanted the people to own it, so yeah. to speak. Today's yes, communists actually hate the factory. 
which is which is crazy. That's they, they hate the means of production. I want to show you a video, uh, Mark, and I've played this for our viewers before. This is a 2016 United Steelworkers of America ad that I don't think had very wide play. Uh, this features Jack Tippold, who is a steelworker from Indiana. And I looked up Jack Tippold on the internet, and I found him, and I've told up my viewers this before, I found him on Facebook. We became Facebook friends, and I've chatted with them to sort of talk to him about how he, he literally cut a TV ad against Trump in 2016 over steel. And you, you couldn't have a more steel-friendly president not only in terms of yeah. industrial policy, but trade policy. I want to show you this clip because I find this so amazing. This guy, and he's being a little coy with me on Facebook, fair enough, I'm a journalist and he's, he's got his work to do. But there is no doubt in my mind that this guy and 100,000 guys who look physically and who sound the same exact accent, who are sneered at by the, you know, New York's uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, sneered at by, by the elites, they are voting Trump down to the man. Here, just watch this ad with Jack Tippold again, because this scared me when I saw it in 2016. But although he won't quite come out and say it, I'm telling you one thing, Jack's voting for Trump this time. Take a look. My name's Jack Tippold, and I've been a steelworker for 24 years. This election is a little bit different, and Donald Trump does talk a good game when it, when it comes to China and Mexico. But let me tell you a little something about Donald Trump. The Chinese have been illegally dumping steel and aluminum into this country. The problem is that Donald Trump is buying this steel and aluminum, and he's using it in his projects. Now, Trump says he's going to rebuild the steel industry. That steel could have been made here in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or Ohio. Another thing, Donald Trump says our wages are too high. Let's see him go into one of our plants with his soft hands and work for a day and then tell us our wages are too high. Donald Trump says he uses bankruptcy as a tool. I've seen what bankruptcy does to our brothers and sisters. I've seen them losing their houses and their cars, unable to provide food to put on their tables, can't pay their bills. We don't have a, a father that can give us a million dollars and bail us out. Look, Donald Trump is nothing more than a boss. And when you go to pull that lever on November 8th, think of that's who you want as your boss. I tell you, Mark, that guy ain't voting for the people who would bring in a carbon tax, who would ban coal, who would ban fracking, who would blockade pipelines. That guy's voting for the man who is keeping out the cheap dumped steel. And all he can say is grow, build, dig, mine, you know, uh, frack. Uh, I think that that could tip 2020. And in Canada in 2019, yeah, and I think one of the knocks against President Trump is, oh, well, okay, he, he didn't always follow the, the, the ideology he prescribed. Well, one of the things President Trump done as a businessman, he's trying to tell Americans and he's trying to change America so that businessmen like him can actually use American products without the unfair dumping and competition, uh, the unfair practices that China has done. And that's what he's been focusing on. And I think that's why he's going to win over people like the man in the video you just showed. The other reason that's so important, and Politico had a whole article on this today, showing that you know Democrats in places like Michigan and all, and a lot of these you know sort of Rust Belt or blue collar states, are terrified of 2020. And it's a lot of it is because of President Trump's not only his governance and his good policy, 
but because of his brilliant political tactics. And what do I mean by that? He's elevated, President Trump has elevated people like AOC and Congressman Omar, uh, Congresswoman Omar to the level of the face of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. So even the Democrats now are saying they know the Green New Deal and AOC are going to be in every ad against them. And it's not going to play well in a lot of these Democrats' home districts. Yeah. And that's political genius of Donald Trump is he's made the party embrace the extreme. The Democratic Party is embracing it because they can't they can't allow themselves to support Trump. So, you know, and Trump has made it basically the face of AOC, the Green New Deal, or American prosperity. And it's actually a fair choice, an accurate choice. And that is why 2020 presents a huge problem for the Democratic Party. Very interesting. You know, in recent weeks, I've seen some tweets by Donald Trump where he pokes at the leadership of the big three automakers in Michigan. Now, it's a little cryptic to me. Um, I'll show the tweets on the screen here right now. I think he's alluding to some fuel economy standards. Is that right? He's trying to get the big three to walk away from those. And for some reason, they want them. And he's saying, why are you being ridiculous? Uh, make cheaper car, make better cars cheaper and sell them cheaper in America. And everyone's a winner. And am I getting that right? Is that is that the point he was trying to make? It was odd, but obviously he's saying something strategically. Help me figure out what he meant. Yeah, well, what's happened here is the Trump administration is trying to reverse President Obama's corporate average fuel economy or CAFE standards on American vehicles. And as, as it currently stands, I think by 2022 in, in three years, it's going to be a 54 and a half mile per gallon in the U.S. standard for the fleet of vehicles. Now, this is statutorily incredibly damaging, possibly the RIP of the American SUV as we know it. And we're already seeing heavier use of aluminum and plastics and, you know, and lighter SUVs. Everything's making cars less safe. President Trump is trying to change that. The problem is, and I've already said this in the past, it's the best argument for California secession. The problem is California has its own standards that it's got an exemption. It doesn't have to follow federal. So there, California and a few other states like Massachusetts are going to keep their standards very strict. So automakers are having to face the rule of they're going to have to do two sets of cars for the states that have really you know high regulatory requirements versus states that don't. President Trump is trying to get a federal ruling to get rid of California's ability to do that. But given the state of the auto manufacturers, they're not wanting to fight. They want regulatory certainty. They're just sort of giving in and they're going to accept these regulations. But on the, on the, and on the other hand, they can also figure a way to juice it and make money out of this. But President Trump is trying to persuade automakers to go along with overturning Obama's rules because the person it's going to hurt, the automakers will do fine with the new regulations. It's the American consumer, both in terms of cost and in terms of safety as cars get lighter, smaller, and more expensive. Hmm. That is so very interesting. And, uh, and you mentioned Michigan. I think, I, I mean, listen, I don't know auto workers. I just don't know them. Um, but I think that they can tell the difference between someone who's for the boss and for the workers. And it was Michael Moore himself who first flipped the light switch on for me that Trump was for the worker and Trump wasn't afraid to talk to, we know Trump's not afraid to talk tough to the big three CEOs because he tells them, if you think you're making vehicles in Mexico, get ready for a monster tariff. I mean, he's, he's been fighting with the big three automakers forever. Very interesting, Mark. I sure hope you're right. Um, but for every blue collar guy looking for his political uh, outlet, You've got all the activists and the extremists and the grievous in, grievance industries and the Greta Thunbergs 
clouding yeah. the debate and saying, no, 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 vote for today's Democrats, the, the extremist campus activist types. I hope the blue-collar Americans and blue-collar Canadians can see through that. Last word to you, my friend. Well, I think you're right, but I think that process is most pronounced during the Democratic primary process. So those activists and those uh, you know people pushing the new green, and I love the Democrats right now, are all trying to outdo each other. Bernie's the king with the $16.5 trillion Green New Deal. Others have come out with only four or five trillion dollar versions, so they're like the weak Democrats. But if the Democratic base and activists pick someone so extreme, like Elizabeth Warren as a nominee, Trump is in heaven. Now, if he picks it, they pick a Joe Biden, which is getting harder and harder to believe they're going to do that. They're going to have a much more pronounced battle because Joe Biden, his nickname is Lunch Pale Joe. He he envisions himself as the champion of the blue collar worker and he's got a great image. And I think that's going to put up the biggest challenge for Trump among this demographic. So it's it all comes down to who the nominee is and also economics. I mean, you know, Right now, we're riding high. If there's a blip or a, you know some kind of a slide into a slight recession, that's going to have a big impact. There's so many variables. It doesn't just come down to blue-collar workers, but this is such a key transformation in the electorate against the Democrats, and it began under President Obama. Yeah, very interesting. Well, always great to talk with you, Mark, and thank you for your time. And we look forward to staying in touch with you, not just about uh, Trump's pro-energy policies, pro-industry policies, but the election, because, of course, you're... You're a real insider on those subjects and always a value to our viewers. Thanks, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Ezra. All right, there you have it, Mark Morano. I hope you're visiting Mark's site. It's called climatedepot.com, and I promise you it is the best aggregator of news and information about the theory of man-made global warming and the politics of that theory that's on the Internet. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back on my special interview with Gavin McInnes. John writes, That was a fun show to watch. It was like two guys sitting around shooting the shoot over pints and trying to straighten out everything. There was some cussing, too. I hope that didn't hurt anyone's ears. But yeah, it was fun to see my old buddy again. Dan writes, What I really liked was what Gavin said about conservatives being crappy fighters. People need to stand up and fight back. The battle is in your own backyard first. Yeah, he's a fighter, that's for sure. Paul writes, Always great to hear from Gavin. I watch the show and see our TV. I've been meaning to check out Gavin's new site. I guess I'll finally have to get around to doing so. Yeah, it's called freespeech.tv. I was glad to see the guy. You know, I, I remember when I first met him uh, back when we were both at Sun News Network. I had a show at Sun and he was an occasional guest. And what I saw immediately then and I still know now is that he's a fountain of creativity. He just... It's a gusher with ideas and jokes and sketches and concepts. I think the fella needs an editor from time to time because even a brilliant brainstormer doesn't get it right all the time. But uh, it just lots of laughs and always great to see him again and in his natural habitat in New York City. That's really his home for sure. Well, I'm glad you liked that for those of you who did. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.